Thank you guys for tuning into the Dovision Experience Podcast. It's your boy Frank Nitty. I'm back with another episode. I'm excited about this because last week I hit my 20th episode. I've been putting them out weekly. So if you guys haven't had an opportunity to check out these episodes, these previous episodes, along with the shot episodes I've been putting out, definitely go back and hit the buttons, listen to them, see what I have to say about those different topics. This week I got a couple extra topics coming in here that I'm excited about. Um, I'm going to be putting putting out the shot recap as soon as the episode drops. So be, be on the lookout for that next week. So with that, man, I'm going to continue to talk about the things that's been going on in the community, but we don't want to necessarily forget about, you know, Amar Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. You know, we want to we want to make sure those guys continue to get that justice that they need. We want to continue to put pressure on the on the police department and justice system to make sure we get the justice that they want that they need for the things that that's happened to them in the past, and so they can make sure we can stop those things happening to our sisters and brothers and kings and queens in the future. With that. I go ahead and get the podcast started. So, like I said, always grab your lighters, pull up, turn me up, and let's get it. Thank you guys for staying tuned in to the Doe Vision Spin Podcast. Like I said, this is your boy Frank Nitty. This first this first topic I like to talk about is uh, you know the Master P No Limit Chronicles uh, wrap up. Basically, they just wrapped up the five-part series to the Master P No Limit. Basically, man, this this episodes that, that I've been seeing, I've really been, you know, dug in in the trenches, watching them week in and week out. You know, Master P was one of probably one of the greatest moguls we had in our community. You know, he was one of the guys who came from the trenches, moved out to moved out to the West Coast. You know, got his business up and going. With the death of his grandfather, he got the ten thousand dollars and invested into himself, into his business, and he started putting out music. You know, he kept putting out music in the beginning. It wasn't like catching on. It wasn't it wasn't always great. He was putting in the raps. He was just constantly putting in, but he had a vision the entire time. He always had a vision of what his music was going to do, how he was going to be a businessman, how he was going to mogul, how he was going to move and throughout and, and put products out there. So he just had that vision. No matter if nobody was listening in the beginning or not, he had that vision of what he wanted. He got his opportunity. He got the chance. He put the music out. It didn't do anything. It didn't do anything at first. He kept putting music out. He kept connecting with the right people. He got on the road. He got people to listen to his music. And then what he did was he brought his family with him. He moved his family out of New Orleans, brought them with him. Cause you know at that time, you know I was growing up in that time when, when No Limit was kind of you know taking off. You know he was kind of in the, he was in those trenches in New Orleans. It was the murder capital of the world. I got family. Majority of my family is from New Orleans. You know. A lot of your family that come from Mississippi, they probably migrated to New Orleans and other places in the South. You know, some, so I, I got an opportunity to see, you know, New Orleans and Third War and just how New Orleans operate when I was a kid going down there because I had my mom had sisters and brothers and things down there. So I got a chance to see New Orleans up close and knowing that it was the murder capital of the world growing up. You know, he had an opportunity to move away from there. And with, with the music starting to kind of pick up and taking off, what he did was he reached back to his neighborhood and he got his, he got his brothers and brought his brothers out there with him. And he got his wife and his girlfriend, you know, he tried to get them out there with them so they make sure they can try to you know, put them in the music game and show them that their music game can change their life so they don't have to be in those trenches out there in the streets hustling game banging doing whatever they want to do because ain't no ain't, you only got two choices when you out there in the streets you're gonna die or go to jail and he knew that and so he took that money he invested himself and put music out continued to put music out created the group got his family involved start rapping and then at some point you meet the right person you perform the right show and then you get out 
and you go, it's gonna get heard and it's gonna get seen. And you start putting out videos and you start putting out more music. And then P just continued to put, he's continued to grind in that music business until he started to get some traction. And then he got more traction. And what he did was he, he basically migrated the South and the West together by putting them on, putting them on, on albums. So he'll put them, take the people from his neighborhood, put them on an album along with the people out West Coast. And so what it does, it gives him two two um, two coasts to be listening to his music so he, he doubles it he doubles his his listenership so he take the people out in the west coast he take the rappers out there the local rappers out there put them on an album then he take the local rappers in new orleans put them on an album and now you got people's in two regions listening to your music and that's how you grow your music and he kept his head down and that was just showing how the things that he went through as a kid watching his mom watching his pops and just watching the family trying to get out those trenches and just believing in himself creating the no limit creating the the the, the shield and the armor and the no limit tank would, would become the like the most iconic thing that we've seen as far as the no limit music industry and then once he continued to continue to build that, he knew that at some point, you know, you, you just can't rap forever. You can't just rap. You got to do other things. So he had his vision already set up in mind. So what he did was he, he eventually got a distribution deal. And the way he, he was smart about doing the distribution deal, instead of him actually going to the to, going to the, the record company and just saying, hey, I want to be able to, you know, sign my sign my deal, you know, instead, because they because basically jimmy iveen he went in because he was starting to pop jimmy iveen brought him in sat him down and said hey you know i give you a million dollars you know right now and, and p had to think about it like man if he gonna give me a million dollars i gotta be worth more than this and so p continued to think about it he's like man i come back and so the guy told him jimmy iveen said hey if you leave this office you'll never get a deal like this ever again and so p just like hey i know if this man gonna offer me a million dollars i know i'm worth more than that so he had to he had the mindset and fortitude to think about it and, and foresee that you know i'm not just worth a million dollars right now i'm going to be worth tons tens of millions of dollars in the future i just have to continue to you know grind it out and continue to put my work out and, and people are going to listen to me and so what he did was he he got a chance to you know talk to the lawyer for michael jackson so he paid 25 the lawyer for michael jackson said, i charge you twenty five thousand. and so pete invested himself to go and sit down and talk with this guy he talked to the guy and said hey what's the best way for me to put out this put out my music and the, and the guy told him he said hey look you want to have a distribution deal you want to do 80 percent get them get them uh 20 or 85 percent you know however the deal was structured but then that's what he wanted to, he, he wanted to, he, he went into the mindset hey look, i need to be doing distribution deals not just signing to a label and so he got a chance to do a distribution deal where he was getting 80% of the records. And so he finally put out a record and he saw the money that was coming back. Because at that time, we we're buying CDs and you're paying $17, $18 for a CD. And so P saw, oh man, I get this money back. I get 80% of the, of, the, of, the, of the money off this CD that I put out. Hey man, I'm going to put out more records. I'm going to put out more albums. And so the label was like, and so the label, the distribution deal that he did, it was like, oh man, you only can't, you can't put out this much music like this. And he was like, what? I basically own this. How are you going to tell me how much money I can put, how, how much music I can put out? Because in his mind, he's like, like, man, if I can put out an album a week, an album every two weeks, I could be making double and triple my money on these albums. So why should I just sit around and just wait and put out one album? Because at that time, you was on, if you was a big artist, you basically putting out one album a year. You know, instead of like DMX, he put out two albums a year. And that was like, whoa, that's a big thing. You know, Pop put out two albums in a year. So that, that's like a big thing back then to put out more than one album. Because normally you put out an album and then it'll hit the streets. 
and then it'll just basically work the streets for a, a, a year, year and a half, two years. It depends on how the artist was, but you want to just put out an album and then put out another album. So P was like, mindset, mindset, like, look, man, if I'm getting 80% of this album, I put the album, I should be able to put out as many albums as I want. So he goes into the office, talks to the distribution, distribution, distribution company, and they're like, no, you can't do this. He's like, what? I own it. I can do what I want to. Look, just because you guys are white, that don't mean it's right. And I'm going to do what I want to do with my company. I'm going to put out the records. I'm going to put out the albums. You need to keep up with it. And so he got up and walked out the office. And his brother was like, man, I never seen a, I never seen a black man talk to a white man like that. But you know what I'm saying? Being the, the boss that he is, the mindset that he has, he knew that he can do this. And so he was like, why just sit around and wait a half a year, you know, when I just create an album and I can create an album in two and three weeks. So P, you know, that time he was killing the charts. You know, he was putting out an album up basically every week, every two weeks he had a new album out. And then as you see in the in the, in the footage, they basically saying, man, they created a, a, they had a house out here in the Bay Area that all that he basically bought everybody out to. He bought Mia X, Silk, you know, Servon, everybody, the, the the mixers. And so so Mia X was basically letting them know, hey, look, we want to get this bounce sound. We need to go get our, we need to go get our producers and have our producers out here. You know, your producers, you got there, okay. But if we want to have that New Orleans bounce sound, we need to get the producers out here that we know can kind of produce that music for and produce that sound for us. And so that was like that New Orleans bounce sound that they have. You know, that New Orleans sound is different from everywhere else in the country. Like when you go down there and you hear the music that they're doing with those trumpets and they're doing with the drums, like the music is just different down there. And so he, what he did was he brought those, you know, brought all the rappers and he brought all of his uh, producers and he brought them out and they put them in one house and he created a factory. And so these producers are constantly creating beats and the rappers are rapping just as fast as the producers are putting up, putting out the music, putting out the beats. And so what he did was he basically told him, hey, look, you got two weeks to get your album out. You got two weeks to write it. Two, we're going to produce it. So what he was, he had two or three producers in the house at one time. And so the producer will produce one beat in one room. You'll rap. And then you'll go to the next room with another producer got a beat. And then you rap on that beat. Then you go to the next room and you and the producer got a beat going. And then you and then you rap and you rap to that beat. And so you constantly putting that, you constantly are sharpening your tools because you got other rappers in the house with you. So you're creating a, a, a factory of just music. You know, you're not necessarily, it's like an assembly line. You know, you don't have to worry about going in correcting the music and tighten it up that's for the engineers to do you more or less just want to rap if you're the rapper you rap if you the, if you're the producer you produce so you produce in one room you rap in one room you sing in one room and then you do the beatings in the other room and if the guys who are actually you know uh, uh, doing the music and basically making it making the sound quality better that's for them to do on the back end after you do all that and so pete understood that and so he constantly had those guys in there and they were putting out music every week he put out like 20 some albums in a whole year and like a lot of those albums had you know topping charts uh records and, and those records were playing everywhere and being down south i constantly had that influence you know you hear you hear no no limit you hear fiend you hear mill x silk the shocker you know you got master p doing his thing and then at some point you got mystical coming he doing his thing and then you got soldier then you got uh soldier slim and then you know god bless the dead soldier slim they put out their music and then you got his brother you know everybody was just putting out music and he was constantly putting out music and he's making money he's making money like crazy because all these albums are just generating money because they're hitting the charts some of them hit number one they're hitting number two and then at some point you got all these albums out on the charts and you got all these records playing you got some of the top 200 and top 100 you got four or five records in there from your company from no limit so he's making crazy money and what and the thing is he was basically taking that money and he was giving it back he makes sure you have a house and he makes sure you have a car so he was getting people paid but of course you know in new orleans you kind of still stuck in the street like his brother his brother was still stuck in the street so he was wanted to always kind of be in the hood be in the trap but peace art is like look you know this we've been growing up in our all our life in the hood and the trap if you want to be able to be something you got to get out the hood you know you got to move away 
You got to be able to go out and produce and do things and, and come back and save the hood, not just be in the hood every single day just because you don't feel like you, you know, you, you don't feel like you miss it or somebody think you kind of sold out. But Pete understood that. And so Pete constantly kind of tried to drill that in his, to, to his artist's head. And then at some point, you know, Master, Master P was like, look, you know, I need to kind of start signing these free agents. And Snoop Dogg, you know, you know, Snoop was having his problems with with Death Row Records, and he was having issues with his money. He couldn't get his couldn't get his records out. And he was going through his issues with Suge Knight, and so Pete understood. Pete like a businessman. He like, look, man, I want to get I want to get you on the song. So he basically, you know, got Pete got Master got Snoop Dogg to get on the song. Snoop thought he was going. He told him thirty five hundred, and then basically what what Master P did, he wrote him a check for thirty five thousand. You know, that's crazy. You know, gave him a thirty five thousand check, and then was like, man, hey, look, I need you to get with no limit. He's like, man, I would, but I still got this deal locked up with with uh with Suge, and we out here in Death Row. You know, he's like, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it for you. And so what he would he went and did, you know, as a boss, you want to go talk to the boss. And so he went went to the jail, sat down, sat down with Suge, and sh let Suge know, hey, look, I want, I want, I want uh Snoop. You know, what it's gonna cost, what it, what it is. Let's let's work out a deal. And then he basically worked out that deal. Got Snoop, signed him up, and at that time Snoop said he was basically broke. You know, you know, Master P saved his life at that time because he was going through all his probably issues with with Suge, and he probably wasn't getting paid, and so he was kind of like having issues with Suge. So what he did was he got an opportunity to get with, with No Limit and revitalize his career, man. And then what he got with No Limit, he got with like had a, like a three three record album deal, and he just kind of got along got along with No Limit and got into that cycle of producing content, producing music, and he was just in that cycle, just constantly rapping, sharpening his tools getting better and just just continue to grow as an artist all while you know letting snoop know that he can be the, he's like at the top of your game man you can do whatever you want to and people just showing him how to get that money showing him the game from the inside out instead of like just rapping and then not getting paid with should you know he's now working and putting out music with, with no limit and and just that whole no limit you know that was just running the game at that point in time you know but p being the smart guy that he was, he know that, you know, you can't always rap. It's not all about rapping. I can give you all this money and give you these houses and these cars, but we have to continue to think. He knew he, knew he had a product. I got to put more product out. I'm hot. So P started doing films. He's doing he's doing TV shows. He, he put out, he put out, um, I got the hookup. I got I got the hookup. So that was one of his movies that he put out, and he knew that you know I can do more than just music. I had got a clothing line. You know, he just had so many things. Cell phones. He just had so many things in the fire that he can be that he was selling because he knew that he was hot. And it's not only just about selling music, but you got to be selling everything. You got to be selling a ton of products. So P had his foot in everything. You know, he was so entrenched in just product and his music. He said, hey, look, I know I had a dream of playing basketball. I want to go play in the NBA. And people were like, well, you want to play in the NBA? So, yeah, he got a chance, opportunity to go try for the Charlotte Hornets. And he basically was on the team playing with the Charlotte Hornets until he got cut. And he kind of explained why he got cut because, you know, he was going out. He was the most popular guy on the team, even though he wasn't a starter. He wasn't a star. He was the most popular because he's no limit. He's a hit of no limit. He Master P. He put in ghetto dough. He got, he got um, um, ice cream, man. You know, he's the guy. And so everybody's coming out to see him. And he said that kind of played a role into him getting cut, and that kind of crushed him. So he goes back to making more music and making movies and, you know, selling shoes and clothes and pants and shirts and just selling any and everything that he could possibly get his foot in. He always wanted to be in the industry, you know, always wanted to be forward thinking because he knew that music wasn't going to always put the food on the table because you can't stay hot forever. You're going to get that blazing hot, and then you're going to eventually you're going to come down some. And he knew that. And so he was always trying to be ahead of the game by putting out new products and putting out new music and just putting out things that he know that is going to be lifelong, you know, 
residual income from these type of things that get out there so he created his own movie production company so he just knew that you know that i have to be able to be in front of things before i start to slow down or things start to slow down at no limit you know because you got these got these guys they're in the hood they're in the trap they're doing things they get in trouble you know you got Cain and abel got caught up with cocaine then you got you got his brother he got got the murder charge and he got musical he got his charge and so they kind of you know take a damper on a no limit brand so what he does he rebrand himself with the new no limit you know he comes back and then he does it with his with his son then you get you get romeo you get the whole wave with romeo so you get another wave of just no limit so the guy had you know he knew what he knew what it took to stay at the top all the while wanting to play basketball because he also went back and played for the toronto raptors and he was hooping with toronto raptors until he got cut there too so he just had a whole wave of things that he he knew that he can do so what i said like i said he's probably one of the greatest moguls that we've seen in the hip-hop industry and i know he has to get that flowers while he's alive because he's probably served a lot of uh, a, a vision for a lot of other rappers who came on behind him because you know as he was starting to as no limit started to slow down you had cash money was kind of starting to bubble up as well in new orleans so you you know he was that guy in life for a lot of these hip-hop uh, artists and you know labels because you got to think about it, you had death row going you got you got death row you got cash money coming up then you had rock you had uh, had the rock you had everything you you just had a lot of different uh you had a lot of different groups that were kind of formed in their business but nobody was doing it like no lemon was doing it at that time you know you have three six you got just a lot of different artists that was groups that and they built their labels up but nobody was doing it like master p so you know like i said i just want to tip my cap to master p for showing the way showing us how we had to think about things outside of just music and it's just all about product and, and thinking forward and, and trying to be ahead of the game and always just keeping your name out there and staying relevant so with that i go ahead and wrap this section up i really appreciate master p and to the next section to the next um until we come back to the next topic i hope you guys stick around and stay with your boy like i said this your boy frank knitting i'm out Thank you for sticking around to the Dovision Experience Podcast. It's your boy, Frank Nitty. And in this segment, I want to talk about, you know, Biden picked Camilla Harris to be his running mate for the presidential campaign for this upcoming election. You know, he kind of was kind of backed in the corner, I think, because you needed to have, uh, he was kind of riding on, skating on thin ice as far as like who he was going to pick and where he was in the polling, especially with the pandemic coming along. You couldn't really hit out the campaign because I've been thinking he's been kind of lazy as far as a campaign, campaigning this time. You really don't see him as much. You know, I'm not, the, I'm not a Trump fan, but he, you definitely see Trump um, impression way more than you see uh, Biden. You know, you see the you see Biden here and there, but you see Trump everywhere. And he's been kind of to me, he's been kind of right on the cruise control as far as his campaign because he feels like he's just going to automatically get the black vote, especially now that he has he, he announced Camilla as being his running mate. As far as you know, trying to get us and get us out to vote, I don't feel he doesn't he doesn't energize me as a voter to get out and say oh i gotta vote for biden i think he's just kind of rushing on his laurels because he was the vice president for obama and he kind of feel like oh i wrote obama coattails i'm gonna automatically get this black vote but it don't work like that you got to show us agendas that you're going to put in place to help us. Not necessarily just agendas that's going to try to help everybody at the same time. We want to know exactly what you're going to do for the black people, what you're going to do for the black community. You kind of rode the coattails with Obama. Obama kind of did his thing. But now you're the vice president. You probably didn't have a lot of power back then, so you, weren't, you couldn't put any policies in place. 
because we know your history. Like I said, I'm not the biggest political guy. I don't I don't pretend to be. I'm just telling you how I see it and the things that I've come across and read about him. You know, he's definitely not has been the best political guy, you know, as far as, you know, towards the black community, because he has wrote these these crime bills and these different things to put in place to have us locked up and have our conviction rate a lot higher. You know, so I'm not just going to just automatically just give you my vote just because, you know, you're abiding and you rode with you rode Obama. It just doesn't work like that. You got to show us and prove to us. We're at the point now you have to prove to us what you're going to do for our vote. You have to work for our vote. You can't automatically just go out there and think you're going to get it just because you just you were you were vice president for Obama. And then you also pick Camilla to be your running mate. You know, they have mixed they have mixed emotion about Camilla herself. You know, she's been the D.A. out here in the Bay Area and she's been locking up a lot of people. But I'm pretty sure she's done some good and she's done some bad as well. But, you know, people have mixed emotions about her. So you can't automatically think you're going to get that vote just because. You know, it doesn't work like that. We're no longer just going to sit back and just let you you just ride your coat, ride the coattails and just ride on to the right off into the sunset and get become president. And then don't even think about us because, you know, with Camilla being being your right hand man, we don't know what kind of powers you're going to have. Because normally you don't see a lot of power coming from the VP. You kind of you kind of see them. They get their roles and they kind of go off into the distance. You really don't see them until they have some type of dinner or something like that. Then you see them. But you don't know. They don't have like a, a lot of power in my in my vision. They don't have a lot, a lot of power that they're put in place as if you were the president you know yes you probably have some influence but it doesn't show in the policy that you put in place as if you were the president to veto veto things and and kind of get things up and up and running off the ground but you know with that being said you just can't just rest on your laurels and automatically think you're going to get that vote so you have to put some things into place to make sure we feel comfortable with voting for you not just because you were Obama's sidekick and you're just going to automatically think you get that vote. It's just not going to work like that. We want to see what you have set up for us that's going to benefit us. You know, what type of, we don't necessarily say reparations, but we want to know what kind of agenda that you're going to have for us because other communities get those get those breaks. You know, you have the Jewish community, you have the Mexican, Latino community. They get some type of breaks, but the blacks, they don't really get any breaks there when it comes down to, hey, we want to be able to get some financial, some financial backings that's going to really help us progress. We want to have something in the banking system that's going to help us progress we need this financial stuff you know financial is what's going to get us ahead if we're constantly fighting a wave and you're constantly you know taking it from us especially like in the south where i'm from you know the agriculture is a big thing and you can and i and i work and, I, and i'm saying i work with you know people who've been in the agriculture industry and i i've been around agriculture at some point in my life you know and i work with people who work out in the field so i kind of you know have an idea how these things work so when you have a person who's driving the trucks but don't quite own the land then they're getting a small percentage of what the the uh, landowners get because landowners have insurance on these lands so if crops go bad they can actually file insurance they can make money off of it they can make money off the land and then when they, they get the drivers you know the black guys who have the trucks who are renting the trucks who have to pay money on their rent on their trucks and also driving loads from the field to the cotton bins or to the river to the boats and things like that and you get a small percentage whereas if you have 200 200 acres or 1500 acres or 2,000 5,000 acres you're making hand over fist when it comes to you know cropping and sharecropping and doing things like that so you know we want to have things that's in place and these policies in place that's going to help propel our community and going to help uplift us for the next generation not just somebody who's just going to come in and just just ride the coattails and just be an even kill the whole time we want to see somebody shake it up and make some change if trump can go out here and rile up these racist individuals by saying things and doing things and putting policies in place that's going to help support them then we want somebody to get in there and help support us as going forward because we're going to need these things to help our generation and next generation coming up behind us to be able to take advantage of these things you know we need housing we need financial background we need literacy we need a lot of things you know we can't always do it by ourselves we can't always try to work two times two times three times hard to get something to try to get ahead 
when there's nothing in place to kind of help us get ahead. We're not getting these business loans. We're not getting these grants. And I'm pretty sure if foreigners, they probably have some type of grants. They come in, they can get, you know, free, free, um, t free tax exemption for five to 10 years on their business. Like we need things like that to kind of help us get off the ground. We don't necessarily just need somebody to come in and be even kill and just doing this, this, doing the status quo and just serving lip service to in the presidency. But to me, you know, the president don't really affect our lives, you know, day to day as if it was our, you know, our, our local officials that really affect our lives, you know, who, who are city officials who, who, you know, doing your your school boards and who are doing your roads, who are doing your 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 different taxes. We want we want somebody who's going to get in there and is going to shake up things and get in there and get in there for us. And it's going to do something for us and, ha and not be afraid to say, hey, I'm doing this for the black community. You know, that's what a lot of things. That's what a lot of these uh, politicians, they get they get twisted in here. They say, oh, I got a place for the crowd. So I got to make sure I appease everybody. But when you Try to appease everybody you appease nobody so you basically have to get in there somebody who get in there and say hey look this is for the black community we know that this they've been put behind they need, they need reparations they need a, a uplifting we need to figure out something to do for them to get them ahead get them a jump start in this in this next generation going forward especially after the pandemic we're gonna they're gonna be somebody and these businesses gonna be needing some hands not only just the white business but the black business small business we're gonna need these loans because you know as a small business i talked to my barber he said he couldn't get the small he couldn't get the small uh, business loan during the pandemic because they weren't making payroll so they they put he, he said they had these different stipulations that they couldn't get them they couldn't get the business loan but they had to be shut down for three months at a time so we need somebody who's gonna get in there and say hey look this is for the black community we're gonna do this for them and make it and preach and show it to us and put it into play and put the pen on the paper and put these put these laws in place and look out for this police brutality there's a ton of things that we need to have you know have looked at when somebody gets into presidency but you have to have you have to talk about these things you can't just go on to these podcasts or to these radio stations and just say hey Hey, if you're not you're not black if you don't vote for me now nah, bro it don't work like that you got to be putting something out there for us to make us want to vote for you you know you know especially with camilla on on a ticket you know people have like i said mixed emotions about her about the things that she's done in her past and her conviction rate as a district attorney in the bay area you know she's locked up a lot of black people but i'm sure she's done some good as well like i said i'm not the biggest political guy but i do know that you know there's mixed emotions about both candidates you know all the candidates that are actually running they, they have their mixed emotions about it. so you have to you know i'm not going to tell you who to vote for i just want you to get out there and vote and be not about the people you're voting for and vote what you're interested in and you vote on the issues that really affect your life you know that's the biggest thing we have to vote on the things that affect our lives because a lot of time we don't get out and vote and the people that we don't want to win end up winning because you don't win and that brings me to another topic about you know how people are using the postal system right now to try to do their ballots but what trump did is he didn't want to fund the u.s postal system because he know that the ballots is like a uh, it's like a heist you're basically still in the presidency by not allowing people to vote via, via the ballots because you want you have the pandemic going on you have people who try to do early voting absentee voting there's a lot of things that goes to the postal system and the postal system have millions and millions of you know postals that's coming through and they're going to need some support to kind of help them get over the hump to try to get this thing together for the presidential election and with trump, with trump not giving them that that money that's going to you know it's going to make things much harder for people to go out and vote because people don't understand that the u.s u.s postal system is the people who deliver to those rural those rural towns like where i'm from you know they're you know we don't see fedex and ups just running up and down our streets that's on those the metropolitan areas and in, in some of those bigger cities where there's a there's the ups and the uh, fedex are actually running on a daily basis dropping dropping your packages off your amazon packages you know just your your normal business packages but when you get to those small towns or rural towns those 
less than 10,000, those 5,000, you know, people, there's the, there's the U.S. postal system delivering that stuff. So FedEx and UPS rely on the U.S. postal system to deliver that stuff. So we can't just say, oh, let's just go get FedEx and do it. But at the same time, the FedEx CEO has already donated to the Trump campaign. So you see how that's being played out? They're 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 using that manipulation of of the of the system to to suppress and uh, oppress the people who are trying to vote. It's all come back to voter voters voter suppression. So what you do is that's how you steal an election. You steal an election by not allowing people to vote. You do it you you do it you do it you do it out in the open and so if you try to hide it, you get caught. But if you do it out in the open, people just gonna talk about it. But who are they gonna do? What can you do? We gotta get out there and make sure that people have opportunity to get out and vote. So I like what Le LeBron James has actually done. He, along with the LA Dodgers, they've basically teamed up and turned the the, the stadium into a voting a voting a vote a polling place. So you can go out to the, the go out to the LA Dodgers stadium and be able to vote. So people will be able to do the, the social distancing because we're still going to be in the pandemic because we have to we have to remember the pandemic is still going on even though it's hot outside which in the Bay Area it was really hot today over like 100 degrees so you know you have to be able to still go out and, and, and vote because the pandemic you have to be social distancing because we're going to be like I said back into we're going to be right back into the pandemic where we're going to be right back into flu season which is going to just lead there's going to be even more problems when the, when the weather changes when it starts to get cold so with them doing that we have the opportunity to spread out and be able to go and vote along with them the Atlanta Hawks turn it they're turning their arena into the into the voting into a voting uh polling place as well so that's going to help alleviate the issues because we saw what happened down there for the last uh, with the last election not the president's election but I think the, the senator the governor election where they had tons of voter suppression in the black communities in certain zip codes so that's how they steal these elections they they steal it out in the open they they say oh it's something wrong with these machines or we're going to put like they did in Atlanta they put a they put a uh, every new they put new sh new machines in every city in the county within the, uh, within, within Georgia, so why would you do that right before an election when you know that you know these things haven't been tested and it's a way for you to go out and you can steal a vote, you can steal an election, and that's how you turn over an election for somebody who you want to win. You know you don't go you know necessarily do it in the back room, and you, of course they do it, they do they talking in the back room, but when, when we want to steal it, we're gonna steal it riding out in the open. We're gonna show you what we're doing. We're gonna just show it to you, and that's trying to show the power that they have because all these people are donating to these different campaigns. They're trying to get things done for themselves. So if I donate to the Trump, if some if somebody like the FedEx people donate to the Trump campaign, if something comes up. They need to bail out. They're gonna get the money first. So you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna look out for the people who looked out for you. So we can't say, oh, well, let's just get the FedEx people to go out and, and, and deliver these postals. And so you seeing you seeing these things that happen online where they're they're picking up the the, the the blue boxes for the U.S. postal system that normally you can just go and drop your mail in. They picking them up, saying, oh, these are some of the old postal these some of these old postal blue boxes. We had to replace them with newer ones for more security purposes. No, we understand what you're doing, bro. We see it. We see it. What you're doing? You're doing it right in front of our. You're cheating right in front of our faces. It's like when you're playing cards you get caught you get caught in card cheating it's like no nah, bro i caught i caught you like no you need to pay you got you got to pay up i caught you bro you ain't gonna cheat me and write my you're not gonna cut that you're not gonna cut that card when i know you you cut the card before you know if you play card if you play spade then you understand what i'm saying you can't you get caught you get caught it's, it's just like a, it's like a, the worst thing ever you get caught um cutting cards and cutting spades so like i said they're, they're basically putting these they put these blue boxes and they take them and put them on the back of the trucks and they're driving off with them and claiming that they need some more security on them but we know what you're doing you're taking you're taking those ballot votes away from people because trump has already made it clear that he he doesn't want, he doesn't trust the ballot the ballot uh, the, the um the mail-in ballots ballots because he know that you know what other way could i possibly try to steal the election by not allowing people to do absentee ballots i want them to go to the i want to go to the booth 
booths, but they're not going to go to the booths because they're going to get frustrated with the lines that are at the booth. And then that's how I'm going to go to these other states and these grind it out. And I'm going to steal an election that way. So we have to just be aware of what's going on and be cognizant that, hey, look, we have to be more uh, proactive about getting our getting our votes in and, and pre being prepared to go out and vote and do the things that we need to do to get the people in the, in these places that we want to have in place that's going to you know look out for our best interests you know like i said like but biden himself you know he has to be a little bit more forthright and letting us know what he's going to do about our agenda and what he's going to do for us in the upcoming election you know i know you guys are probably not as political into the politics as i am i'm not i'm not going to like i said i'm not going to claim to be but i just react to the things that i see and see that it's going on because like I said, these FedEx and these UPS and these CEOs and these people who are behind these companies, they're in these back room with Trump. They're donating to Trump's campaign. And so what they're going to do, they're going to stick it out what they got because he's going to look out for them when things go bad. So why would I jump ship now? I'm pretty sure there are some things that's going on in those back rooms that we are never we will never know about that's going to help get this, get him over the top. You know, what I mean, but Biden just have to be a little bit more stronger and get back out here on his campaign trail and be seen and be heard and let us know what he's what he's talking about and not just making up these things that he's going to say that's, that he think we want to hear because they all lie. You know, they all going they all lie. Like Trump said, he's going to build a wall and it hasn't been a talk about a wall since he got into the office. You know, he's been doing all these crazy things that people, you know, have been questioning him about. He's calling fake news. He's been a character. Of course, every day he gets in, it's a character. It's no political background. So what he's going to do is try to divert our attention to other things. You know, he's talking about the football. He's talking about basketball. You know, he's, he's picking on LeBron. He's just, he's just doing all these different things to distract us to what's really going on. Like he's talking about he's talking about football and, and kneeling and flag and all that type of stuff. Like we we we're past that. We know that, you know, the kneeling is not about the flag. It's about police brutality, but he doesn't want to admit it's about police brutality, but he wants to attack the NFL and put those guys on notice so that we can be distracted about him going back and forth with the NFL. You know, so we have to be aware of these tactics that they're using. You know, they're they're always coming up with different tactics and the closer we get to the election and the more is gonna see more tactics they're gonna see and the things they try to cover up in those back rooms and also the things they try to do openly out in our face and we're like whoa we see what you're doing but you know we have to be aware and know what's going on and be prepared and be proactive again and like i said with that i go ahead and wrap up this segment and i'll be back with my next segment you guys stick around stick with your boy grab your lighters pull up turn me up let's get it Welcome back. I appreciate you guys hanging in with me at the Dovid Experience Podcast. Again, it's your boy, Frank Nitty. And in this segment, I want to talk about, you know, what the college football is actually going on. So if you're a college football head and you kind of know what's going on out there, they're kind of decide, trying to decide if they're going to play this season or not. You know, they had, you know, several months to kind of come up with a game plan to try to get these guys and get these kids on campus and figure out what they want to do. But they, of course, they haven't, they, they're not on, up to par. They don't have anybody who's leading them. They have divisions and you have these presidents of the, of the these particular conferences they're doing what they want to do and they want prepared they're not ready and kids are, are deciding say hey what are you going to do for us how are you going to protect us because it has not come out that you know the virus could probably be a, a long-term thing as far as like compromising your heart you know four to six years from now 
So the players want to know they're going to have some security as far as medical medical um, that's going to be lasting them for that length of time. Because normally when you do your four years, you're done. The school's done with you. They give you your papers and they give you your walking papers and you're on your way. You either make the NFL or you're done. And most of the time these guys, they don't really have, they dedicate their life to football because that's all they, they, they know that that's their way and that's their meal ticket trying to get to the NFL. But a lot of the kids who are going to, the, going to the, these schools and playing football, you know they're not going to make it to the NFL, so they try they turn into coaches. They try to be on the the, the coaching teams for the college te- college level, and they try to do high school. And you kind of just do things that you know that you know about, which is the football portion of it. And so what they try to do is they try to get these these kids to come out and play with no with no um no insurance and so the kids are like no we're not coming out here and playing unless you're going to give us some type of insurance and these conferences are, are trying to back down because they don't want these guys to create a coalition or they don't want them to come together and kind of create a union and what's the worst thing they want to happen a union that happens on their watch because once the guys get unionized then they can start demanding things they can start asking for more things because right now they don't get any money you can't work as a football player or a, a collegiate scholarship athlete you can't get you can't work a full-time or you can't work a part-time job um, because they're afraid or not afraid but they don't want you working they want you totally dependent on them and their food their, their, their meal and their housing which they only which is pretty trash you know seeing that you only get three meals a day you get the breakfast you get a little bit at the clubhouse and you get lunch at and uh, you get lunch and then you get a di- you get a meal but that's at like five or six o'clock but if you're an athlete you need you need fuel you need more you need more than that and also you want to make money for yourselves but you can't work so they, they they try to put all these stipulations in to make you not be able to work because they don't want you to get you know money from other places that kind of you know tempt you to do something that, that could really uh, harm the team or anything like that but they're not doing it for that purpose they're doing it because they're making all this money off these athletes and these schools and these these college these college uh, students, they're making so much money off the football program because it funds other portions of the school. But at the same time, these programs are making billions of dollars off the the TV TV ad revenue, the TV ad revenue split share. They also get money off the jersey sales. They get money off the endorsements. They get money off of off of everything everything these uh especially when they go to these bowl games they get bowl games money they get more advertisement so these colleges are private institutes so they don't have to pay taxes on this money and they're just making hand over fist when it comes to this money and so they've had numerous amount of time to try to come up with a game plan i know like the nba they kind of came up with a quick game plan they're like hey look we're going to go down here and play in a bubble we're going to have the guys you know they're going to test constantly you're not going to be able to leave the bubble for the next three or four months so when you get in we're going to be doing testing while you're here but in the football realm they didn't do anything they don't say like oh we're going to just put, give you a match Mask. Like, oh, what? You're not gonna. You can't give a, a, a guy just put a mask on him and think he's gonna be safe because he's on a campus with another, you know, twenty thousand kids or thirty thousand kids. And, and when you're eighteen to twenty, you're eighteen to twenty-four, you're not really thinking about no virus you're going to go out and you're going to mingle with each other and you can't protect the kids from the you can't protect the kids if they're mingling with other kids you can't you have to go in and have a game plan and say hey look we're going to have all of our, our student athletes for the football season we're going to play we're going to push through we're going to have you guys coming to this particular part of the the campus you're not allowed to go outside this cop this side of campus you're going to be doing this for for the next you know four months or whatever the case may be i don't know they i'm not i'm not getting paid to come up with ideas for that but there has to be somebody a a, a planning a planning committee to think about this type of stuff and they weren't prepared and so now there have been a, a couple of conferences have shut it down i think the pack pack 12 shut it down the you know the the other a couple of other conferences decided they're not going to play they're going to wait till the spring to come back and play but you know conferences like like i think acc or big 12 and sec they're trying to push forward 
it's not going to be the same. And so what they're going to do is they're going to, instead of having play on these, these out-of-region conference games and things like that, they're just going to play all in the division. So the SEC is just going to play the SEC, and they're probably going to have SEC championship. And then you're going to see how they're going to go from there. But, you know, SEC is like, look, we're going to do what we do. But that, that comes down to them making money. They want to make sure they be able to make that money, keep their payrolls going. But these kids and these student athletes, they're not really thinking about that. And one of the things I, I saw with Plies was saying, he was like, you know, these coaches are speaking up about, you know, playing or not playing. But where were you when, you know, when Black Lives Matter was really, you know, at its apex? When George Floyd lost his life, Breonna Taylor, like, you know, Amon Ari, why won't you guys talking in? Where were you? All of a sudden, you, you, you're out front and center about the situation when it comes to should we play, should we, should, we, should we not play, and things like that. But you weren't front and center when it came down to Black Lives Matter. Even though you know 80 to 90% of your roster has nothing but black athletes. That is the crazy and most insane thing to me majority of your roster is, is is all black you know those, those black athletes are you know are doing the best that they can they're getting the status for this particular university and they're going out and they're recruiting other players off of the backs of the players that they already have and that's creating a, a, a tremendous amount of money revenue that's coming into the school but they're not sharing it with the, they're not sharing it with the kids so the kids only see that their way out is to make it to the nfl but if you can't play the football, especially if you're a senior and you're looking to the, you're looking forward to this season to be able to showcase your skills to be able to get to the, the NFL draft or get to the combine and just be seen by the be seen by the agents and, and try to get your, your value and get your stock up, you want to play. So if you if you know that that's your only meal ticket, you want to play. So you're willing to risk it. And these schools are like, hey, look, no, we're going to save it for the spring. Or no, we're going to push forward. But they need what the NFL need. They need like a good deal. They need somebody to be able to lead them to say, hey, look, we're gonna. I'm the voice of college football, and this is what we're doing, and this is how we're going to do it. But instead, you have these guys who are different. You have different commissioners for different regions and different conferences to kind of say, oh, we're going to do what we're doing over here. We're going to do what they're gonna, we're going to do over here because these are private institutions. These these guys don't have to answer to anybody, but they need to. This is go, this should go. This goes back to show them that at this point in time, they need somebody to be a voice for them. You know, because as we continue to see, we we because we already know once the vaccine is in place, the government is going to get in, get involved. And they're going to say, hey, look, you guys going to have to take shots, and, and it's going to trickle down to the schools. Like, look, just if you don't have your shot for if you don't have the vaccine, the COVID nineteen shot, then your kid's not going to be able to attend school. So we already know once the, the government gets involved or the vaccine get, gets into play, they're going to be forcing kids to take shots because they want you to get out on, they want you to get back on the field, even though you might not feel comfortable with taking it. And if you, it's going to give a do or die situation, like, hey, you either take the shot or you won't, you won't be able to play. So, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to, you know, they trying to delay these uh, games and trying to push them off to the spring because at that time you're going to have these guys who are seniors who are really has a voice in the, the college football realm. Their name is big and they're trying to, you know, form a, a like I said, form a coalition or they're trying to, trying to form a union and they're going to just delay these guys and wait for these guys to graduate and move on to the NFL and then they can kind of go back to business as normal. But that's a lot of wear and tear on the body because if you've been training, you've been, you've been training and you're ready for the season, then you got to dial it down and you got to turn around in the spring, go back and turn it up and play for three or four months. And then you only have a month or two off for the, for the summer and then turn around, come right back again for the fall. 
you're definitely putting a lot of strain on, on, on the football athlete's body because your body needs to have time to recover, especially from all that hitting and lifting and running and wearing tear. That's a lot of wear and tear on the body within a 12-month span. So that's why you have to have the offseason. But, you know, they're trying to make the they're, they're trying to decide if they're going to let the kids play or not. But it's all about the money and how the money revenue goes in. And we'll continue to watch and see how that goes because, like I said, I'm, I love football. I would like to see it. You know, I'm not I'm not going to just knock it because if, if, the, if the guys want to say, hey, look, we're not going to play i'm with it i want the guys to be healthy i don't want anything um to hurt them long run in the long run because we don't know the ramification of a kid going out there playing for two three months at a time he gets the virus and then four or five years later he finds out he has a heart condition and he can't play for it because he won he didn't make it to the nfl two he can't pay for the bills and three in the, the the school is off the hook now because it's been a, a five-year span since he's been at the school so they now don't have to be we have to be uh worried about having to pay any of his medical bills and that was one of the big things the NFL had to deal with, you know, having these guys who retire from the NFL having some medical relief to be able to help them pay for these pay for these uh, concussions that they had, broken bones, whatever the case may be for your medical your medical expenses because these things have a very total effect on the body because you only can take so many hits on the body because the body's not really designed to take hits like that. And so what they had to do, they had to eventually come up with some type of plan to kind of help these and that's what they fought for. You know, the union their union fought for that to try to have that, you know, that medical care bill taken care of for our retired for the retired players and players who've played, you know, three to five years to the league and they'll be able to recoup some benefits in case they need them in the future especially with the, in the big topic when it was talking about concussions. so these schools are trying you know trying to make sure that they try to get off the hook so they don't have to pay these bills so that's why they're pushing it off but again if these coaches can speak up for you know playing football or not playing football they should have been speaking up for black lives matter when it was a time when their voice needed to be heard because these black players are on their teams and they're fighting for their fighting for their coaches and they're fighting for the school and they're making the school look good and they bring in their money and they bring in revenue and so if they're not speaking up for the kids then if the kids don't want to play i'm with them 100 percent so if you don't want to play don't play if you feel like you need to play, you know, go out there and you need to feed your family and this is where you want to feed your family as a kid, you know, do what you have to do. But, you know, you, you know, I have you have my support as far as not playing and it's not going to hurt me by missing a, a couple of months of football because I would rather see somebody be healthy and safe in the long run than go out there playing football with nobody have any uh, clear, clear plan of action of what they're going to do for you in the future. So with that, I go ahead and wrap up this podcast. I really appreciate you guys listening. As always, you know, you know, tap in with your boy. I've been watching, you know, I've been putting out the episodes weekly of the shy cap recaps as well. It's been a good season and I'm kind of, we kind of towards the end of it. So if you haven't had a chance, please go back and watch that. Um, if you guys, any office or any things you got, you want to kind of put some new artwork on your wall, hit me up. I got that on my website, dovision.com. You can hit me on IG at dovision itself. You know, I got, got a lot of cop, a lot of things coming, you know. I got some merch out there, you know. Dove Vision, you know, Dove Vision Experience merch. I got some of the Dove Vision merch, you know. You, your black dad, your, you know, young black woman. I got some merch for for everybody. So please go out, and check the website out, you know. Order some merch, holler at me, get at me if you see me in the streets. You know, I'm doing my new thing. I, I love biking, so I've been biking. I've been out riding. If you follow me on my journey, if you've been hitting my stories, I've been on my journey trying to hit 10 miles on my ride. I've been doing five miles and seven miles. I haven't quite hit that 10 miles. So I'm on my journey to hit 10 miles. I'm going to be excited when I do that. You know, if you want to ride, hit me up, hit my IG, hit me in the email, dovishsf at gmail.com. You know, let's get out and ride. Let's go out and exercise because during this pandemic, it's easy to kind of sit down and get overweight and you can kind of be hard to get that weight off. But this is something that you can do 
for you know you can social dish on the bike you can run you can have you can you can ride you can have fun i hit trails i'm out riding i'm exercising because i'm a guy i don't like to i don't like to run i'm not a runner i don't i just don't like running but when i can get on the bike i can put my put my earphones on my airpods on and i can go ride four or five miles six miles and you know and get a real good workout in you're working on you're working those muscles and you're working your heart and, you, and you're pumping up your blood so you know it brings back a lot of childhood memories with me riding my bike so you know if you if you're thinking about getting into it and you don't have a bike that's cool we can always go out and find different things to try to get you a bike to ride and then we can go out and make something happen i just want my community and i want people to understand that there's other ways to exercise and just going hitting the gym you know doing something fun such as riding a bike can really help your life you know build up your stamina you can get energy get the blood pumping and just get out exercise and feeling that breeze and feeling that air and get some of that sunlight on your skin and get that melanin taken care of so Again, if you want to be, if you want to get into the biking like me, holler at me, get at me. You know, like I said, hit me on IG. So again, I appreciate you guys listening. You know, I go ahead and wrap the podcast up. Until next time, this your boy Frank Nitty, and I'm out. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to grab some merch, canvas prints for your home or office, or see the full link video from this episode, please visit DoVision.com. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at DoVisionSF. Also, send me an email of someone you'd like to hear on the podcast at dovisionsf at gmail.com. Also, please join the Dovision Club at patreon.com forward slash Dovision for early access to the content and some of the behind the scenes look of some of the episodes that I create. While you're listening, don't forget to hit, hit the subscribe button and comment on the podcast as well as my YouTube channel. And turn on those post notifications so that you'll be notified each and every time I drop a new episode. Thanks for listening. And remember collaboration over competition. Until next time, this your boy Frank Nitty, and I'm out.